the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have and enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afuakwa. Pastor Afuakwa is the founder and general overseer of the Faith House Charismatic Chapel International, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to preach and teach the word of faith for people to know God better, live life better, and impact their world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Very good evening to you. Kingdom Addict. Kingdom Addict. Wow, it's great to be with you tonight, to share fellowship with you in the spirit and in the word of God. I trust that your day has been good. Let's bow our heads as we get into the teaching of God's word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this night. We bless you, for you have not asked us to seek you in vain. You said your ways are not our ways, neither are our thoughts like your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways, and our thoughts than your thoughts. Tonight, as we get into your word, and we reason with you from the scriptures, let your thoughts become our thoughts. Let our ways, your ways become our ways. And Lord, move us and position us to function in the realm where you have ordained us to function. We give you praise that we are being transformed by the renewing of your mind from glory to glory, even as by your spirit. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. All right. So we, we began a, a teaching series a couple of weeks back and... We started it from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, 1. This is what the Bible says. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Be therefore followers of God. Here, Apostle Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church, was encouraging the Ephesian church to walk. Now that they have been redeemed, now that they have been drafted in, now that they become fellow citizens of the household of faith, they needed to walk the talk. These guys have come to faith in Christ. They have professed faith in Christ. They have become believers. And Paul wrote to them and said, now that you have become children of God, you have to be followers of God. In other words, imitate your father. Be like your father. Behave yourself like your father. That is what we basically be using broadly as our teaching title, followers of God. Come with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. This is Jesus. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I want you to know tonight that God is making the same call to you tonight. If you have not started your journey of following God, then I want you to know tonight that he's making a clarion call to you tonight. And it's a, it's a call that you must not take for granted at all. It's a call to be made. When God calls you, he has a purpose in mind. He wants to make you to become what he's ordained you to be. There's a certain kind of person God has ordained you to be. He has a divine purpose for your life and he's calling you 
into the pursuit of the same. So he says, Peter, you have been a fisherman. This is the time to follow me. So my purpose and my counsel for your life shall stand. Verse 20. They immediately left their net and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their net. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Amazing. So that is Jesus. We are to follow, be followers of God, and we see Jesus coming and calling people to basically come and follow him. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 13 with me. Luke 6, 12 to 13. And it came to pass in those days, he went out to a mountain to pray and continue all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. He called his disciples together. And by the way, you can see that there was a large pool of disciples. He called them together, and out of them, he chose 12. He chose 12. Now, you can imagine, you see that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, Jesus basically calls certain people. He calls them, and those people choose to respond to the call of God. We see Peter, we see John, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they all chose to follow or respond or obey the call of God. Now come with me to Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 to 25. Here, something different happened. Verse 18 to 22, Jesus called some people and they followed him. But let's see from 23 to 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Verse 24. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various sick diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now listen, you can see clearly there were people Jesus called who chose to respond to him and there were others who came to him. And that is what we described earlier in our teaching, the first part, part one, we were looking at fans or followers. We said that when Jesus came, he wanted followers. So you see that he went to the mountain all night in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 13, praying that God will help him make a choice of true followers. And the Bible says, when he finished, he chose the disciples to be with him. And then, when he launched out the ministry and started going about preaching from place to place, there's another group of people who were attracted to him. And these are described as fans. The New Testament describes them as the multitudes. The multitudes were in the majority. These are people who followed God for their belly. They followed God for what they could get. They followed God for material things. They followed God for things of the flesh. They followed God for things of eternal, of, of no eternal consequence, of no eternal value. Those were the fans. And when we look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, Jesus takes an action on the fans. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship 
he constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He constrained the disciples and then sent the multitudes away. The Greek translation of the word sent is to free fully, to free a person fully. Literally, it means to relieve someone of his duties. It means to release a person or to dismiss a person. That's what it means to send them away. The Bible said a time came in the life of Jesus, he sent the fans away. He sent the multitudes away. But while he was sending the multitudes away, on the other hand, he was also constraining the disciples. And tonight, we want to uh, shift our attention from the multitudes and want to look at the disciples. So, we said that the disciples were dismissed for a number of reasons because they liked to be called, but they hate, hated to be chosen. They liked connection, but they lacked commitment. We said that fans or multitudes like to consume without contributing. The fans also like to be comforted without being corrected. Fans like the conquest, but hated the combat. Fans deserve the crown, but it is the cross. Fans like to climb the ladder of success, but lack the character required to sustain it. And then, of course, last week we touched on five C's about following God. And we said that the five C's that we all need to remember constantly about following God has to do with the call. The call, the choice, the cost, the capacity, and the comfort following God guarantees. Tonight, we want to step up our game and move further by looking at attribute of true followers. You realize that in the book of Matthew chapter 14 verse 22, we are told, and Jesus constrained his disciples. The word constrained has a deeper meaning in Greek than it is in the English language. To constrain, it comes from the same word. In fact, the Greek word is anakazo. Anakazo. Bishop Doug has written a book on anakazo. To constrain is to anakazo a person. And to anakazo means to compel someone to do something against his will. To compel someone, force someone to do something he doesn't like to do. So the disciples probably may not have wanted to enter the ship and travel along the journey that Jesus was about to go, but Jesus forced them. He told them, listen, you have no choice. This is what we are going to do. And if you are a follower, you must understand that it comes, there comes a time where your choice does not matter. If you are going to be a true follower, your choices will sometimes not matter. You can be a true follower, living after your own choices, living after your own will. No. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ's call to become his disciple, to become his follower, you cease to have a choice of your own. Every choice thereafter must be choices that are sanctioned by God, choices that have been approved by God. You cannot choose to live your life the way you want it. If Jesus truly becomes your Lord, then he must have a final say on all matters. The way you dress, the relationships you keep, how you spend your money, everything about your life, Jesus must have a final say on that matter. And tonight, I want to ask you, has he got a final say? Does Jesus have a final say on all matters? Or you are still living your own life? Or you are still in charge of your life? Many people claim that Jesus is Lord of their lives, and yet they are the masters of their game. They do what they want, when they want it, how they want it, regardless of what the Spirit of God wants, regardless of what the Word of God says, regardless of what the Spirit of God at work in them demands. And if you're living your life like this, I want you to know that 
it's most likely that Jesus did not really become your Lord. Because if he became your Lord, the word Lord means master. The word Lord means owner. That's what we call landlord. It means landowner. He owns it. If Jesus is your Lord, it means he owns you. And if he owns you, he must be able to tell you where to go, where not to go. Which company you can keep, which company you cannot keep. How to spend your money, what not to spend your money on. These are important things we need to appreciate as far as following God is concerned. So to compel or to constrain, which we said comes from the Greek word anakazo, means to compel. It means to necessitate. It means to drive, drive, drive. It means to constrain by force, by threat, or by other means. Now, it's important we ask the question, why Jesus? Who said that everyone that the Father brings to him, he will in no wise cast out? On this day, send the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes out, after he did that, the Bible said he constrained the disciples. Why will he constrain them? What was so special about the disciples? What made the disciples so unique, so dear to Jesus, that he will send the multitudes away while constraining the disciples to go on a particular course? These are some of the things we want to uh, delve into in this aspect of the teaching. So we are looking at characteristics of true followers. The disciples were true followers. The disciples were people who were all out for him. And you and I have been called to become disciples. We are not just converts. There's a difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert simply has come to believe. A convert has professed faith in Christ. But a disciple goes a step further beyond professing faith in Christ to practice their faith in Christ. It's not enough to profess your faith in Christ. You must practice your faith in Christ. And it's important. The Bible said, in this that last is, people will have a form of godliness but will deny the power thereof. They will talk the church language. They will speak the, talk, the church tongues. They will wear the church dress. But in their heart and in their conduct, they will betray Christ. And I pray that if you are tuning to this broadcast tonight, you are not one of such who, whose life is betraying the cause of Christ. Why would Jesus constrain the disciples and relieve others? The first reason we want to look at, the first characteristic is the fact that the disciples were decisive. They were decisive. Jesus constrained them because he knew that these people had decided to be his followers. They were not just around him. They were not around him for bread and butter. They were not looking for a visa to travel abroad. They were not looking for a husband to marry. They were not looking for a child only. These were people whose hearts were with God. I want to ask you tonight, is your heart with God? Is your heart with God? Are you seeking after God or you are seeking after the things from the hands of God? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What are you pursuing in life? You may be in church, but your greatest pursuit is not God. You may even be a worker in church, but you know from your heart of heart that your greatest pursuit is not Christ. These guys were decisive. They had made up their mind they were going to follow Christ and nothing was going to stop them. They had made up their mind, counted the cost, and were ready to go all out with God. Are you ready to go all out with God? When you made the decision to accept Christ, did you understand the full implication of it? Do you understand that it's a decision that gives him control over all the choices of your life? Look at what the Bible says. In fact, when you read the book of Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, it looks like, when you give it a casual look, it looks like the, the, 
the disciples, the early disciples he called, Peter, James, and John, they, they, they just responded to him impossibly. But when you, you examine it later, you come to see that these guys really thought about what they were doing. He said, follow me. And immediately the Bible said they left their net and followed him. When you look at it casually, it looks like it's so easy. Then the people, these people, they, they must have not thought about it. But let's look at what the Bible says in the book of John. In the book of John, something happened that Jesus gave a wild teaching about his body being broken as a communion. And a lot of things happened. Let's read John chapter 6, verse 48 to 59. It's quite a long reading, and I want you to follow me closely. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him, is my flesh which I shall give him for the life, I shall give for the life of a world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his own his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now listen, that means every time we partake the body and the blood of Jesus in faith. We are simply reactivating the life of God in us. That's why in the book of 1 Corinthians it says, For this reason some are sick, some are weak, and some die among you. When the communion is taken, we service our system with the life of Christ through the body and the blood of Jesus. That's why the Bible says we should take it as often as we do it. The communion is not something you should be taking occasionally. You should take it daily if it's possible. It's the life of God flowing through your life. Then Jesus said unto them, I say, unless you eat, verse 54, please. Verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live by because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Let's go. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eat this bread will live forever. Verse 59. These things, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in the Capernaum. So Jesus walks into the synagogue and he has no, nothing to teach but to teach on his body and blood as comparing it to the manna the, the, the Jews' fathers ate in the wilderness. You remember when they were coming from the, the, the land of Egypt into Cana, God gave them manna, fed them with manna 40 days in, in the wilderness. And Jesus says, I am here. I'm offering my body. I'm offering my blood. And this one is more is superior to that which your fathers ate. And now there. And this teaching did not go down well with the Jews at all. At all. And we'll see that from verse 60 to 69. Let's quickly do that. Verse 60 to 69. Look at what it says. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is hard saying. This is hard saying. Who can understand it? Many of the disciples. Many of the disciples. I realize that many people can claim to follow God except when they come to hard places. When hard teachings are given, 
When hard instructions are given, that's when a lot of people, you will never know the kind of followers that you have as a leader, as a pastor, as a CEO of a business until you give a hard instruction. Jesus gave a hard teaching. And the Bible says the teaching didn't go well with them at all. And the Bible said from that day onwards, and when Jesus knew himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What an audacity. <laughs> what if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Verse 3. It is the spirit which gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. Verse 65. And he said to them, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him to him by my father. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Follow me because that is where our key point is tonight. From that time, when he made that teaching and the subsequent fallout, the Bible said many of his disciples went back. These were not true followers. So here we are seeing a distinction between true followers and fake followers. Fans and followers. We see it clearly here. The Bible said when Jesus gave the hard instruction, gave the hard teaching, many of the disciples, they, fall, they, fall, they fell back. Are you falling back? Because you are not willing to follow the hard instructions of God. You have professed faith in Christ. There's a call for you to live right. Is that call deterring you from following God? Are you falling back because of a gentleman who says he loves you, he wants to marry you, and yet is not ready to, for you to marry before he gets into bed with you? Because of him, are you falling back? Are you falling back because of a boss at work who demands sex from you and... You are, you, are, you are unwilling to give it. You are contemplating whether you should give it. You've been jobless for a long time and now you need a job. COVID has rendered a lot of people jobless and you need a job. And this is the condition. Are you going to fall back because of it? When hard teaching went, many fell back. The true disciples will always be distinguished from the fake ones when hard instructions are given. Look at it. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Look at verse 67, that's where we are. Verse 67, that's where, verse 67, look at what the Bible says. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? He spoke to the, the real disciples. He said, do you want to go away? Look at what Jesus said. They said, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amazing. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look at uh, Peter's focus. His focus was on eternal life. Many people who return or withdraw from God because of their unwillingness to follow hard instructions is because they are not focusing on eternal life. When you focus on your present need, when you focus on your earthly comfort, you are likely to backtrack. You are likely to fall out in your relationship with God. But when you keep your focus on eternal life, you will always be motivated to move on. The Bible says, Well, foreseeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside 
every weight and the same weight do it so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the altar and the finisher of our faith. When Lord's wife decided to look back, she became a pillar of salt. Will you look back or you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? The Bible says they went back. And Peter said, we know you have the words of eternal life. Then he says, also, we have come to believe, amazing, and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is very critical. This is very, very critical. The statement that Apostle Peter made is very, very critical. If you are going to be a true follower of Christ, a true follower of God, for that matter, you need to know that Jesus, you need to know and believe that Jesus is the Christ and he's the son of the living God. I said here, a deep conviction about who Jesus Christ is, is foundational in becoming a true disciple or a true follower of God. If you're going to be a true follower of God, you need a revelation of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? You need it. Because we live in a generation where many people don't know what to believe. He said, we know and we believe that you are Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. That question is so important. In fact, earlier on in Matthew, Jesus put that question to the disciples. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 12. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Some, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others say Jeremiah. And they say, one of the prophets. And Jesus said unto them, he said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? Many people have their own views of God. Many people have, Muslims have their view of God. Hindus have their view of God. Buddhists have, Buddhists have their view of God. Traditionalists have their view of God. Atheists have their view of God. But what is your own view of God? Who do you say Christ is? Look at what Peter said. Simon Peter answered and said again, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. If you are going to be a true follower of Christ, you need to be decided. You need to, you need to be decisive. You must come to a point of decision that Jesus is your Lord. And you must not just come to that point decision of decision you must also be rooted in certain deep convictions you must have strong convictions and i want to quickly walk you through eight important convictions you must embrace about jesus christ as a true follower of god the reason why peter and the rest could be categorized as true followers is because he said we know and we believe you are the christ that means knowing who christ is is critical in living a life living our lives as true followers of God. Eight strong convictions you must embrace about the person of Jesus Christ so you can be a true follower. One is that Jesus Christ is God. You need to, don't never doubt that Jesus Christ is God. There are many religions that would debate this. Some people see Jesus as one of the prophets. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is God. He said that, John chapter 14 verse 8 to 9, Philip asked him, show us the father. He said, ah, I've been with you all this while. You mean you don't know the father? He who had seen me has seen the father. And John 10, 30, he said, I am my father, I want. I am my father, I want. So Jesus is the Christ. 
No doubt about it. When read John 10, 31 to 33, when Jesus spoke this way, I and my father, when the Jews have trouble, they began to say, they pick up stones and they wanted to stone him. And they said, he's making himself equal. What they didn't know is that Jesus did not have to make himself equal. He was already God. He was all God, but became man for our sake. So, number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus Christ is the son of God. You need to have this strong conviction. If this conviction becomes strong in your heart, no, no, no religious set can confuse you. There are some people who go about saying all kinds of things, moving with tract from home to home, trying to deceive people. Jesus is God. Jesus is the son of God. That's what he said. Luke chapter 3 verse 21. While he was being baptized, the Bible said, and praying the heavens were open, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Him I'm well pleased. Jesus is the son of God. He's a beloved son of God. That's what the Bible says. Again, Peter was speaking of him. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus is the son of God. No doubt about it. No religious leader can claim to be a son of God. No. Sinless son of God for that matter. No. Buddha was not the son of God. Muhammad is not the son of God. Jesus, he is the son of God. And you need to be convinced about it as a child of God. Not, it's, not, it's not negotiable. You must be convinced without a shadow of doubt. Jesus is the son of God. The word of God says so. Jesus says so of himself. The early disciples believed same of him. And the scriptures affirms him. Number three, Jesus came into the world as the son of man to redeem mankind from the power and yoke of sin. That's why he came. He came to set us free from the power and the yoke of sin. And he came in the flesh because the Bible says in the last days, the spirit of Antichrist will come. And what the spirit of Antichrist will be saying is that Jesus did not come in the flesh. First John chapter 4 verse 1 to 3. That is one manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist. That Jesus did not appear in the flesh. But scripture tells us clearly, 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, he said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached unto the world, believed on, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That is the summary of the life of Jesus. Everything about Jesus is here. He said God was manifest in the flesh. Did God come in the flesh? He came in the flesh in the form of Christ. That's why you need to be convinced Jesus is God. He said, let this mind be in you. Who being in the form of God, took upon himself the form of a man and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus became man because of us. So he could identify with us and be tempted at all points, yet without sin. Be crucified shamefully. Resurrect on the third day so we can see how to live a victorious life in a world of sin. That's basically why Jesus came. To deliver us from the power of sin and empower us to live a victorious life over and above sin. Number four, Jesus was supernaturally conceived and born sinless by the Virgin Mary. And I'm going to end it here to continue during our next session. Jesus was supernaturally conceived and given birth to by Virgin Mary. That is something that we find in the scriptures. You need to believe this. There are a lot of religious sects that do not believe this. That Jesus was supernaturally conceived. 
Some of them believe that it's a, it was a product between Joseph and, uh, uh, and Mary. No, that was not the case. We are never told anywhere. The Bible said Mary herself was wondering. When the angel told her, Mary, you conceive. Azar the prophet has spoken about it years earlier that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth and shall call his name Emmanuel. When the time came and the angel came to Mary, Mary said, ah, how can this is be? I don't know the man. And we are told clearly how it happened. He said, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee and the holy thing which you shall conceive shall be called the son of God. Simple. Jesus was supernaturally conceived. No, that's why he's able to save. That's why he's sinless. If Jesus had been born by an intercourse between two sinful human beings, there is no way he could have been, his blood would have been holy enough to save us. That's why no other religious leader is able to save but Christ. He has what it takes to save. Why? Because he lived a life that qualifies him to be a savior. Because theologically, for you to be a savior, you should be someone without sin. You should not be somebody who can be subjected to the failings and the weaknesses other people are subjected to. And that's for another day. So it's important that we appreciate these fundamental truths about conviction. They must become strong in your heart. Your decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior must be rooted in the fact that one, Jesus is God. Two, Jesus is the Son of God. Three, Jesus is the only means of salvation. Jesus came into the world in the form of man to redeem us from the, the power of sin. And Jesus was supernaturally conceived by Virgin Mary and was delivered. I pray that these thoughts will stay with you. These thoughts will become your conviction. No, nothing will be able to shift, cause you to shift your post. That no matter who brings any strange doctrine, anything that is contrary and inconsistent with that which you are receiving tonight will be able to sway you off. We live in dangerous times. There's a lot of deception going on and we need to get the fundamentals right. And these are fundamentals that will help you to be strengthened and steadfast in your faith and in your work with God. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord give you deeper understanding. May the Holy Ghost begin to breathe upon his word in your heart. Even as you continue meditating and reflecting on the thoughts I've shared with you tonight, the Lord bless you for being part of tonight's broadcast. And I trust that it's been a great blessing to you. Maybe you are not born again. You are tuning into the broadcast. The first and the most important decision you can make is to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. The price has been paid. All you need to do is to acknowledge him and say, Lord, my life is available. You are ready to make that decision. Why don't you pray this simple prayer of faith with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I admit I'm a sinner and I call upon you. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe in my heart you died for me. I confess with my mouth that you rose again for my salvation. Thank you for saving me and making me a brand new person. Thank you for grace to live and honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, if you pray that prayer, I want you to be assured that you are saved, you are sanctified, you are a candidate for heaven now. We want to help you in your work with God to grow and to nurture you in your faith with God. Send us a mail, send us a WhatsApp. Let's stay in touch so we can help you in your work with God. The Lord bless you for getting in touch with us. Send us your testimonies and let us know how this broadcast has been a great blessing to you. Mom.
Master Afraqua has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. To get a copy of this message and other messages, as well as books by Pastor Afraqua, please call 0540-122-670 or email us at faithhousechapel at yahoo.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afraqua on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also visit our website, www.faithhousechapel.com, for any other information. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our celebration services. 7 a.m. first service, 8.30 a.m. second service, and 10 a.m. our third service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service at 6 p.m. at our church auditorium on the top floor of Nanama Ejekumar Plaza, opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santa Runabout, Kumasi. God richly bless you.